Somebody's failings is reflecting back to me the issues that I have. Many of you, you can read it in the Psalms where it's like David is asking for justice for his enemies and he's asking for grace for himself, which is a classic example of this. He wants justice, but really he's crying out for mercy. And so we want to treat others as we want to be treated. We don't want to judge other people. We want to be merciful as we want mercy. It's not fair is commonly heard in every household with children. Well, let's face it, those with adults too. (laughs) Today on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel shares that God wants his people to be fair and just. But this doesn't only apply to business dealings. But how do you look at and judge yourself and others? Keep listening to learn about God's hope for you in this area. And please be aware that this message covers some sensitive topics. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 25 as he continues his message, More Random Laws. This is something that's going on formally before the leaders of the community. They remove his sandal from his foot, you spit in his face, and you answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Now, you read that, and doesn't that sound kind of harsh? So what's the removing of the sandals? That was a sign in that culture of a strong disapproval. Of course, you have in the Bible, you should take off your shoes. This is hallowed ground. But in this case, it was a sign of disapproval, and obviously the spitting in the face. What this guy is doing is so deeply disrespectful to God and to the community that this woman should spit in his face. And then she says, this sentence to him, you know, so shall it be done to the man who shall not build up his brother's house. And in verse 10, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. Now I'm here to tell you, that was not like a term of endearment. The idea here is that society yields the ability to put social pressure on people in order to ensure conformity. Now, That sounds a little shocking, doesn't it? But guess what? Our day and age shows that society places a whole lot of pressure on people to force conformity. I think the election showed that in a way where every poll said Trump's not going to win. And then all these people said they wouldn't vote for Trump, but a lot of them did. Why? Because there was so much social pressure. I'm not saying I agree with the vote or not. That's a whole other discussion. But there's so much social pressure and, oh, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're this. And people don't want to say it, but deep down they really want to vote for the guy. And so either way, society yields and puts pressure on individuals. Nobody can get away from it. But I want you to notice God's heart in this because notice the pressure is to this. For he who will not build up his brother's house. Oh, I love this stuff. Within the people of God, we should put pressure on one another to make sure that we are building one another up. The Bible calls this edification. See, what God really wants is that our lives in self-sacrificial service to the Lord, that we build people up. Edification, we help fortify their lives in Christ. 
See, what God really wants is that we are people who don't tear one another down, but we're people who build one another up. You gotta ask yourself, are you somebody who builds people up or are you somebody who tears people down? Are you somebody who in the way that you live and move through this world, that you are helping strengthen people or you're the kind of person who is actually diminishing people by tearing them down? What God really wants is for his people to be a place where people get built up. He wants us to build one another's houses, to join him in being vehicles for the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God to be transferred from person to person. Be somebody who builds people up. Now, listen, when I say that, I realize that all of us would probably like, oh man, I've torn this person down and I got this thing. And a lot of times even... It's often very, a lot easier to build people up, people who you're not married to, who you don't live with every day, than it is for people who you see all the time because familiarity brings contempt and you have water under the bridge. But if there are people right now in your heart like, I'm not doing a good job building them up, I would encourage you just to simply go and apologize. Just say, hey, I haven't done a good job of building you up and I want to start and forgive me for the ways that I failed. You ask for forgiveness and you can't go back and redo this morning but you do have responsibility for today. What are you doing to build people up? And I want to encourage you to proactively find ways to build people up. Like, when was the last time before you went into work, you said, Lord, how can I be a blessing to everybody I work with? What small things can I do to go that extra mile with them? Not because I have to, but because I could, to be a blessing. How can I build somebody up? See, that's what God's interested in. And the Leverite marriage was both a way to protect women who would have been vulnerable, being spouseless and childless, no one to take care of them. It wasn't 21st century America where you just go get a job. It's a whole different culture. So God was concerned for the vulnerability of a woman in this situation. And God is very concerned that we build up one another. And I love this. He didn't build up his brother's house. I love the family language of the Bible. That's why we like to say here at Crossroads that because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith. Because we call God our father. In a sense, Jesus is our brother. We're brothers and sisters, you know? And so we want to think of ourselves as family. And so each person is part of your family. And so be intentional about seeking to build up your brother's house. And in the ways that you can, take those steps. Help people. Because that's who God wants us to be, self-sacrificial service. And so that's kind of the Leverite marriage. And so in verse 11, we start kind of picking up some other random laws. Now, I want to be honest. I'm going to read to you verses 11 and 12. I'll read it to you. I'm going to tell you a little story about this. So look at what it says. When we read this, all of you are going to be super happy that you're not me. It says, if two men fight together and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall not pity her. <laughs> so I'll be honest with you. So I was preparing this text many weeks ago, and I read this, and I went into our church staff meeting. I said, okay, I need to read a scripture to you all, because I just wanted to read it out loud in front of the church staff so I can get comfortable with this whole story. <laughs> So in my notes, I just wrote this in capital letters. So what is this all about? Okay, 
So what you have is you have these two guys and they start fighting, they start scrapping, right? And we don't know why, but we know that for one of them, they're married. And if this woman sees her husband being attacked and she intervenes and her way of intervening is to grab the attacker by his junk, you know, it's the right way to say it, that you should cut off her hand. It's a little provocative, isn't it? Like the whole thing. So here's the thing. Because you would say, so she's just trying to help her man. But the idea here is, when you think about what's going on here, out of all the things she could do, why is she grabbing him by the genitals? Because she wants to scar him for life. The grabbing in the midst of a fight, the idea here is the woman is trying to emasculate the man. And what's going on is the reason the punishment for that action is that she loses her hand and it says your eyes should not pity her is because her response to what is going on is so far outside of the scope of what is happening. Why should a man lose the ability to have offspring because he's having fisticuffs with another person? See, this has been radically escalated. Now, I don't know if this was something that went on kind of common in that culture. I couldn't, I was reading and trying to see, is there common stories of this? I couldn't find many. But the idea was that the woman's response to what was going on was such a huge escalation that she deserved punishment for it. Because God's way of justice, I mean, in the most basic sense, justice is you get what you deserve. So the idea in like the Code of Hammurabi, which we also get in the New Testament, that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, all these things. Like, and how many of you have seen the bumper sticker, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind? You know what the problem with that? If you actually think through it, it's because when Gandhi said it, he didn't actually understand why those laws were in. See, those laws are there not to say that the punishment for an eye, it was a law against escalation. Because God knows the heart of fallen humanity, right? Someone bothers you, right? Like you guys are sitting there and you're talking and someone says something you don't like, right? Then you start to plot how you can undermine them. They just said something you didn't like, but before you know it, you're taking the thing to the next level and the next level and the next level. And there's been all these movies about that. I remember for those of you who were kids of the 80s, you know, The War of the Roses with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner one of like the nine movies that those guys were in together, you know? And then you have Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You fast forward it to the early 2000s where something goes on and it just gets worse and worse and it escalates and it escalates and it escalates, you know? And so the laws of justice that the punishment should fit the crime, it was designed to curtail the fallenness of humanity in escalation. And in this situation, this woman's actions in seeking to protect her husband was such a radical escalation from what could have been done to fix the situation that the escalation was so provocative that punishment was due to the woman. Does that make sense? So then here's the question. Because we all know what it's like to be in situations where we're escalating a situation. See, because Jesus is a peacemaker, he wants us to de-escalate situations. I know we, sometimes we feel, well, they owe me. Well, really? God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace when we deserve judgment. It is within our power and within our freedom in Christ to de-escalate situations. Are you the kind of person who, it's always a tit for a tat. It's always, oh, well, you did this. One would do this plus some. It's the law of the proportioned response. What about us choosing to say, my response is not going to be tit for tat or escalating it. 
I'm going to respond in a way that de-escalates the situation. And that's what really this is all about here. See, this woman, in seeking to help her husband, not only is it indecent, it's a radical, for a fight, why should a guy lose the opportunity to be able to continue his family line? Is that a proper response? According to the Bible, the answer is no. It's not a proper response. So I think the call for us is that we need to make sure that however we respond to things, we respond with appropriateness given what it is, and we seek to de-escalate every situation rather than always take it to the next level. I mean, think about the last argument you've had. Oftentimes it's like, well, someone says something, I don't like it. Well, you do this. Oh, well, I do this. Well, you do this. And then before you know it, people are yelling at each other and you're pulling out things from 150 years ago, you know, even though love doesn't keep any records of wrong, but you have them all filed out there and you just wing those things out there at people. Most of us do that. And that is the problem with escalation. It's like in our fallenness, we always have to be right and make sure if I'm hurting, I'm going to make you hurt. No, no. God's way is a different way. God's way is to say, because I'm hurting, I want you to hurt. God's way is like, I'm hurting, but I'm going to bless you. That's what the cross teaches us. That Jesus, like he was hurting to bless us. We deserve that death, but he took it in our place. Not because we were so good. We were so bad. God knew it was the only way to get it done. And so we want to be living into these realities. And in this situation, that's not what's happening. So that's that fun. You can write that verse down and have some fun with it with your friends or not. It's one of those weird ones. Notice verse 13. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light one. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small Verse 15, you shall have a perfect and a just weight, a perfect and a just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God has given you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, this is a law about honesty. The idea is in your bag. See, when they would buy and sell things, they would be weighing different things out. Like, so imagine you're going, like you're at the farmer's market, right? And maybe you want to buy some peaches at the farmer's market, right? Now you put those peaches on a scale, right? If it's by weight, and whatever the amount is, they calculate the price and you pay it. But of course, because people can be dishonest, they miscalibrate the scale so that it's heavier. They do all these different things. Right, And so what would go on is that when you were buying, you take out a weight. If you were dishonest, you take out a weight. That let's say if we're talking in ounces. Let's say you take out a weight, but you're buying it, right? And you make it more than an ounce, but you're like, this is my ounce weight, right? But if you're selling it, you take out an ounce weight that's less than an ounce. That's dishonesty, right? And in the same way within your house, the way you would measure things out. And really what it says here is that you shall have a perfect and a just weight, a perfect and a just measure that your days may be lengthened. God loves honest measures. The scales need to be honest. You can read about this Proverbs 11.1, 1, Proverbs 16.11, Proverbs 20.10, and 20.23, and in the book of Amos, and in the book of Micah. So when you get something over and over again, as I always say, the Holy Spirit knows that we're a little thick-headed. So are you honest? Do you have different scales, different measurements for other people? Are you dishonest in your business dealings? I wish, I so wish that as a pastor, I never had to hear the horror stories of 
two Christians who do a business deal and one of them's shady. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. God wants us to be the most honest people. Why? Because Jesus is the most honest person. Now, don't miss that Jesus applies the same idea in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, judge not lest you be judged with whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So now this is really scary because really what that verse means is that the way that we choose to judge what other people do, it's going to be measured back to us. So whatever your criteria is, it's going to be measured back to you. Now, you know what the problem with that is? We all in our fallenness have the tendency to always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and always judge people on their worst possible motives. Isn't that what we do? Like we always give ourselves a little wiggle room and we almost always give someone that you take them in the worst possible way possible. There's no grace. There's no, maybe they didn't mean it. It's just you just assume the worst about everybody else and you assume the best about yourself. But guess what? That is a dishonest scale. Because Jesus says, whatever measure you use, I'm going to measure it back to you. I know what the problem is. All of us fall short of the measure that we have for other people. Do you ever get mad at someone for not showing up on time? But you're always like, oh, man, if I'm within five minutes, I'm on time. You know? You get mad. Someone doesn't follow through. I always say the reason we get mad at people is because my sin always looks horrible when you do it. Like somebody's failings is reflecting back to me the issues that I have. Many of you, you can read it in the Psalms where it's like David is asking for justice for his enemies and he's asking for grace for himself, which is a classic example of this. He wants justice, but really he's crying out for mercy. And so we want to treat others as we want to be treated. We don't want to judge other people. We want to be merciful as we want mercy. We want to be gracious with other people as we need grace. But if you are the kind of person who you give yourself the benefit of the doubt and you have somebody who you never give them the benefit of the doubt, that's an unjust scale. And I think God wants to revolutionize that because what happens is when you begin to not measure other people in the way that you don't want to be measured, you free them up to be who they are. And you can love them in all of their failings because you know what? That's exactly what God has done for me and for you, right? God loves us, and he knows that we fail, but he loves us still. In God's love, there is freedom to be flawed and redeemed. And we don't live in the flawed part because we can, but God knows that we're flawed, but God wants to redeem us. So who do you need to let off from a dishonest scale? Who's the people in your world who every time you're just always like, oh, man, you know, and you're always assuming the worst about them. You're always giving them, taking them worse, but you're asking for grace for yourself. Whatever measure you use, Jesus will measure back to you. Now, you know what the problem with that verse is also? If none of us live up to the measurement we have, then we all are in need of saving. And my friends, that's why we believe in Jesus. There's not a moment of my life that doesn't go by that I don't think to myself, thank you, Jesus. Because I am so good at failing in my heart, in my motivations, thoughts that pass through my mind, things that I want to say and I don't say, but I should never have wanted to say in the first place. All these things, all the dishonest scales, like don't give Lynn the benefit of the doubt. But I'm always like, well, why don't you give me the benefit of the doubt? You know? And in every way, the measures that I use when it's measured back to me, I fail miserably. And then I say, oh, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Because 
left up to the measure that I have erected for other people, I am utterly lost. But in Christ, I've been found. And that's the good news of Jesus, isn't it? Even if you let everybody off the hook right now, you've already applied false measurements to other people. This is why grace is so amazing. Look at how this little random chapter closes. Verse 17, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. So this speaks to God's desire for the Amalekites, the descendants of Amalek, to be completely wiped off of the face of the earth. Now the Amalekites sprang from Esau's son Eliphaz and his concubine Timnah and In Exodus 17, we read about how when the children of Israel were fleeing Egypt, the Amalekites came and they attacked them. And they were mostly attacking the vulnerable people who were tired, who were straggling behind. And they went to war against the Amalekites. You remember, Joshua was leading the armies and Moses was sitting up on the mountain with his hands raised. And when his hands were raised, Joshua would be victorious. But when his hands started to sink down, then the Amalekites would get the upper hand and Aaron and her sat Moses down and they held his arms up so the children of Israel could be victorious, right? And so here there's a reminder that when they go into the promised land, God wants the Amalekites blotted out. And so almost 400 years later, David defeated the Amalekites in 2 Samuel chapter 1, but they were not completely wiped out until another 300 years later in the time of King Hezekiah. So what we have here is The children of Israel chose not to deal with something that God wanted them to deal with and ended up wreaking havoc on the children of Israel for another 700 years. So my closing encouragement to apply this idea of the Amalekites is, what has God asked you to do away with in your life that's still hanging around? I often wonder when I read something like that, what would have it been like if everything God asked the children of Israel to do, they just did? What would have been the differences for each successive generation if when they went in the promised land, they just took care of the Amalekites who were their enemies, who systematically oppressed, subjugated, caused issues for them if they just did what God asked? And you got to ask yourself, what's the Amalekites in my life? Jesus is Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel finished up this message on some of the hodgepodge of laws that God wanted the Israelites to remember. You looked at how the Israelites chose not to deal with the Amalekites like God asked them to, which ended up causing their ancestors major problems for hundreds of years. With this in mind, Pastor Daniel asked you to consider if there are things in your life that God is asking you to deal with. As hard as it might be now, God's way is always better. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. 
Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus's Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at jesusisrealradio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will start to wrap up this Blueprint series by taking a look at the last part of this second section of Deuteronomy. You'll learn that the Bible can really be summed up in three words, God, people, and land. The God of the universe chooses a special people, wants to give them a place to live and thrive. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Blueprints. Until then, may God bless.